0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, Lord, we long for a shepherd. We long for one lead us through this life we ask our that our hearts might be open to you and to your guidance as we pray in Jesus name Amen See you. So did we take an offering? Did the offering get taken? I wasn't looking <laughs> Okay, alright Oh, you can bring it forward So just so you know, um, those people who are always upset about organized religion, we are not organized. (laughs) Thank you. Well, our text this morning comes from, from Micah, an Old Testament prophet. And the first coming of our Lord was prophesied. It was expected. And one of these passages is one of those that, even in the first century, they identified as a prophecy of the coming of the Lord. But the early church then, after Christ had risen from the dead, and and as they tried to figure out what had happened, then they went back and scoured the scriptures and came up with even more that that they saw appointed in the direction of the arrival of, of the Messiah. And so we, we look at the Old Testament and we see there, sprinkled in the midst of all of the stories and, and prophecies and poems, the, the hope for the coming one. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from Micah and then from Isaiah. Isaiah. And you, O, pardon me, in that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make a a remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, To you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, and the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from the ancient of days, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in travail has brought forth. Then the rest of her brethren shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will gather them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the Old Testament, sometimes the prophets spoke under the inspiration of the, the Spirit of God and said things that they didn't even know what they were saying. They weren't consciously thinking, well, here's the Messiah. They simply spoke the words that they were moved to speak, and then wrote those things down. And sometimes they become explicit references. Sometimes the prophetic voice knew that they were speaking of the one who was to come, and at other times it was an unconscious Expression that was uncovered at a later time. And so in Micah, there's this reference to the tower of the flock. Migdal Eder is the Hebrew word for it. And it's a, an obscure reference. And it's one of those that in all likelihood, Micah had no idea what he was speaking of. But the, the tower of the flock was in fact a structure outside of Bethlehem where on the second floor, on the second story, shepherds would watch over the flocks around Bethlehem. And the flocks around Bethlehem were special because they were to be providing sacrificial lambs for the temple sacrifice. And so they would watch and make sure that there were no uh, thieves or wolves or anything else that might afflict the flocks. And make sure that those who were there were not wandering off someplace, but staying in near. And then, when the lambs were to be born, when the when the mothers were calving the lambs, they would bring them in and give birth to them. Oftentimes, in the lower portion of that tower of the flock, and those who were delivering, those who were watching the delivery, would be careful and watch to make sure that the lambs that were born were without spot that they had to be a perfect lamb those who were imperfect had a spot of some sort or some kind of affliction were not suitable for sacrifice in the temple but those that were born flawless, those that were spotless they were wrapped in swaddling clothes so that they wouldn't kick and injure themselves and laid in a manger. They're on the first floor of Migdal Eater. Just a normal practice, something that went on on a regular basis. And that reference is here in the prophet Micah. And then he makes that more explicit reference of one who will come from Bethlehem. And the one who will come from Bethlehem, and Migdal Eder is right outside of Bethlehem, one who will come from Bethlehem will come to shepherd the people, will be the one who comes to, to lead God's people. And so when the Magi came, to see Herod because they had seen the star. They they heard from the priests and the biblical scholars that this prophecy of Micah said that the Messiah would come to Bethlehem. So they went from there to see the Christ child. And so it is that the people were preparing themselves, longing for a leader longing for one who would be a a king like David. Someone who would resurrect the, the ancient nation of Israel and bring it to a new form of glory. So they were looking at the Messiah as a political leader for all intents and purposes. All of their afflictions from the years since David were because of the disobedience of the people. And so now they were looking for a new leader, a new political leader. Or so that expectation had had degenerated the reality was something far more sublime when Jesus carried on his ministry they looked at him as a political leader potential or not the reality of what was going on as I say is far more subtle far more sublime so the people of god as they come out of egypt and they're making their way across the sinai wilderness they get stuck there and they're they're out there for many years and they were heading for a land flowing with milk and honey and when they got there it wasn't a land flowing with milk and honey they got there and they fought wars and they had to work hard to Carve life out of the land. But yet they had this longing for this very special place, this land of milk and honey. But it wasn't that. Then they longed for a king. They got Saul. Saul turned into a failure. Then they got David. But David was also kind of a mess. And his son Solomon took over, and and the nation of Israel achieved its greatest extent during Solomon's time, but then everything broke up. The northern counties broke away from the southern counties. It was taxation without representation, all that sort of thing. But then they developed this longing for someone once again like David. Now, we don't think that way. We're not looking for the next Abraham Lincoln. We're not looking for another Washington. We're not looking for someone to lead us as a a people that, that will bring us to some new glorified state. But neither were they. It wasn't about a political leader. It was about somebody who would shepherd them someone who would be with them, among them, somehow experiencing with them this this deep longing that they had in their hearts and lives for something that was far greater than just a political state. See, this land flowing with milk and honey was not a political reality. It was something far more. The time we come to the end of the scriptures it is then morphed into the new jerusalem it is a it is a reality that it, that embodies something far more than what we actually experience in this life this is almost hard to talk about but the reality is we all have within us a deep longing for something more. Something more than that which we simply experience, and we've had experiences that, that give us that sense of longing. C.S. Lewis speaks of that longing as, as a nostalgia, for something yet to come. That we are actually moved by some experience to, long for something out in front of us, but the experience that we've had constitutes something of this life as I say it's it's difficult even to speak of but it's a deep and profound longing that we have Many times we'll go through life and we think that we can somehow fulfill that longing we can fill that empty vacuum that void within us what Kierkegaard God pardon me, Kierkegaard calls a god-shaped void we think we can take care of that by buying something or moving to a warmer place or whatever it may be. So much of this life is about longing for something more, and then wouldn't you know we get that something more, and then it wears off really quickly, kind of not that big a deal. So out there in the parking lot, I've got a 13-year-old BMW that used to be a really big deal. I got it secondhand, and it was thirdhand, something like that. And none of the electronics work, and it uses a quart of oil every 600 miles. It's hardly that which fulfills my longing. It gets me around, and I barely fit in it. Germans made it, so they made it with more legroom, but it's hard to get into and out of. But it, it's hardly the stuff, but I can imagine in 2007, if I were looking at it on the parking lot, I think, wow. Wow. You know what I'm talking about. Nothing in this life fills it. Nothing in this life and fill that longing. That was the longing expressed by the people of the Old Testament. They weren't looking for a leader. They weren't looking for just the reconstruction of some political moment. A first century state of Israel that would overthrow the Romans. It doesn't last. They wanted not a leader, but a shepherd want to lead them along, lead them through. Somehow take them in that place of longing, in that direction. This morning, as I was getting ready, I always listened to Christian music in the morning, classical Christian music. And in this case, I I was stopped by the beautiful voice of Sissel Kirkeboll. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a Norwegian singer, and she sings oftentimes with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. But she, she sang, O Storegud, How Great Thou Art. And something about the hymns, something about the songs we sing at Christmas time. I mean, we sing Away in a Manger, and that harkens back to when we were kids, and, and so it's a nostalgia, but it also has something that opens out something out in front of us. It incites that longing. It brings forth that longing. And it's not just longing for Christmas Day. I mean, I'm sure your kids are asking you, what what do you want for Christmas? Dad, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know. <laughs> I want to be with you. I want to eat. I want to be with you. I want to somehow restore something, but have something that is also fulfilling that longing that I have. I remember every Christmas, driving from Southern California up to Spokane to Mom and Dad's house kids in the car. remember one year we crossed over the Columbia into Washington State and there was no snow on the ground. And uh, Amy, the youngest, started crying, Dad, there's no snow. Why did we come? (laughs) Well, that little girl, probably five years old at the time, when we arrived at the house, somehow, This experience, which is so ordinary, so normal, so everyday in in a sense, I saw her, I walked behind her as we turned into the kitchen, and there was mom working in the kitchen, getting ready Rice Krispie treats, which the kids to this day say nobody made better than grandma. But I saw mom turn and a smile come on her face, And Amy's starting to run to her and embrace her and bury her face in mom's apron. Now, that's no big deal. But it inspired in me, it incited in me that longing that there was something transcendent about that moment. There was something that spoke of of love and, and of eternity of the land flowing with milk and honey, of the new Jerusalem, of being one with God and with one another. So on one level, just a little, little girl hugging her grandma. But we all know from our own experiences that's not all there is. That's not all there is in that moment. And we know that this life is sprinkled with such experiences because it's never just what we see. The Apostle Paul says, we don't hope in that which we see. We hope in that which we don't see. We hope in that which is beyond sight. We place our hope in those things in which the reality of the kingdom breaks in and surprises us. And it is what C.S. Lewis calls being surprised by joy, where the reality of God's presence and power breaks in. That's what this season is about. God breaking into human experience, God coming to us and giving us a fullness of the realization that it's not just the stuff we see. There are severe limits to our abilities to perceive. And when we think that it's all about reason and that which is rational, we know the best things in life don't make any sense. The best things in life are those things that defy explanation. Reason says 2 plus 2 equals 4, but what happens when we realize that 2 plus 2 equals 9? When something in our actual experience speaks to us of that which is beyond that which we see. Rather than try to explain it away because it's not reasonable, it's not rational, to allow such moments to embrace us, to allow our God to come to us once again. He is called the hound of heaven. He pursues us until he runs us down, and then he doesn't tear us apart. He embraces us. If he's a hound of heaven, then he licks us our face and everything else, like like good dogs do. But he loves us. He embraces us. And it is his deep desire that all we do is receive his love. Receive his life. Receive his gift of life everlasting with him. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee on that night. You join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you do meet us. For all of our efforts are paltry and they fail. Thank you, Lord, that you come to us and all we have to do is recognize the many ways in which you have invaded our personal space only so that we might know how loved we are. Thank you, O Lord, and may we receive your grace embodied in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.